It has often been said that a person's sense of smell is the most closely associated sense with memories. I would argue that taste would be up there as well. I remember the first time I smelled my grandmother's Polish mushroom soup, which she made for us every year on Christmas Eve, and how incredible it tasted. I remember the smell of incense in my sister's room when she was a teenager, and the taste of Snackwell's Devil's Kid Cookies, which we ate together at that time. More on that later. With that in mind, on today's show, we'll be taking a look back at some of the extinct, discontinued, and disappearing food and drinks from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. From crystal clear drinks to supposed health food, me and my sister's generation had no shortage of memorable and not-so-memorable food and beverage items. I came across so much fascinating information and articles to share that this episode will need to be broken up into two parts, maybe even three. So, put on your comfy pants, pull up a chair, and who cares about high-fructose corn syrup? I know I don't. Let's go. Hello, and thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast, a show inspired by and in memory of my big sister Rebecca and her love for all things pop culture, especially the people, places, and things of the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. My name is Amy Lewis, and I am your captain aboard this pop culture time machine. You are tuning into episode number 60. Isn't that crazy? Episode number 60 Extinct, Discontinued, and Disappearing Food and Drinks from the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. Part one. What follows will be sort of a list of various items you may remember from your childhood or adolescence. We'll discuss some behind the scenes information as well as some articles written about food and drink from yesteryear. Some items on this list had a ton of information written about them and others not so much. Either way, I think you are going to seriously enjoy this ride. These are some of my favorite episodes to put together and record. So let's get started on our journey, shall we? And we begin said Journey, with President's Choice. Were you astonished to see that you could save $50 on a single basket of quality guaranteed no-name products? Well, I think you'll be even more astonished to see that you can buy every one of these President's Choice products with the $50 you save. Products like our green bathroom tissue, our unique President's Blend ground coffee, our exclusive Szechuan peanut sauce, and of course, Canada's best-selling cookie. Why settle for this when with President's Choice and no-name, you could have all of this. Isn't it time you switch supermarkets? Which is a company owned by Lab Law Companies, which was established in Canada. The brand actually started as President's Choice Beers, which was created by Dave Nickel, who surprisingly was not a beer drinker. The beer was discounted, one of the very first of its kind in Canada. Eventually, in the 1980s, the company expanded and started selling their products in the United States. They sold soda with the classic PC logo on it, cookies and other snack-related items such as potato chips, cheesecake, and granola bars. With the help of places like Walmart and Jewel, aka my favorite Midwestern grocery store chain, President's Choice items were on shelves in about 1,200 stores in 34 states. At Walmart, it was sold under the names Sam's Choice and Great Value. 
Our family, and especially my paternal grandparents, were huge fans of President's Choice, such as their decadent chocolate chip cookies, which we could often find at their house, or the Raspberry Temptation cookies. And let me just tell you, I was always tempted by those Raspberry Temptations. Trust me, pun not intended. Really, they were delicious. By the early 2000s, a lot of the chains that sold President's Choice products in the United States were bought out by larger grocery companies who made their own lines of food and drinks. So see you later, President's Choice, which was uh, a bummer. In some instances, the contracts just ran out. Either way, in less than about 20 years, President's Choice came and went. I had forgotten about President's Choice for a long time, as I have lived away from my home state of Illinois for a long time. However, I remember being in a Jewel grocery store in the past few years during a visit and was very disappointed to realize that I could no longer find President's Choice items on the shelves. It was a sad day, indeed. You can, however, find President's Choice items in Canada still, and you might even be able to order some of those, um, some of their products online from Amazon, but you cannot find them in the United States. So sad. While we're on the topic of Canadian imports, let's talk about Clearly Canadian, shall we? From the heart of Canada's wilderness comes a pure, sparkling sensation in seven natural and wild fruit flavors. In the mountains of British Columbia, an entrepreneur had an idea to add a little flavor to the mountain water, and thus, Clearly Canadian was born in 1987. Clearly Canadian was essentially sparkling water with flavor. Those flavors included orchard peach, country raspberry, mountain blackberry, and wild cherry. The nice thing about them is that they only had a few ingredients in them. Some sources said four, some said five. I believe a commercial said seven. So just a, just a small handful of different um, ingredients, which is great. Each came in their own glass bottle with the corresponding fruit depicted in a colorful drawing on it. At first, it was just sold in Greater British Columbia, but soon it expanded. And by the early 1990s, it was sold in the United States. It became such a staple in the United States, that it appeared in television shows like Seinfeld and Friends. Talk about product placement. Perhaps even better than said product placement in TV shows, Clearly Canadian could be found at another 90s gem, everyone's favorite Italian restaurant, the Olive Garden. My sister and I always looked forward to our Olive Garden visits, and not just because of the breadsticks and salad. It was because of the Clearly Canadian. That and the rolly chairs. But anyways... With the popularity of Clearly Canadian came many similar items like Orbitz, which was created by the same people who made Clearly Canadian, coincidentally. It was a non-carbonated beverage with fruit flavoring. It was famous for the floating balls in the drink, which were thankfully edible. The drink was only produced for about a year. Perhaps that was because people said the drink looked like a lava lamp. Not very appetizing. Once the drink ceased production and thus no longer needed a website, the travel company Orbitz bought their website domain. By 2009, popularity of Clearly Canadian had taken quite the dive, so production was halted and the delicious sparkling drinks could no longer be found. A movement to bring the drinks back started in 2013. In 2015, a crowdfunding campaign began, 
Soon, the company was purchased by a group of Gen Xers who wanted to bring the brand back to life, and thankfully they have. The company has created a fantastic new website and features nostalgic pictures of the drinks, and there's even a store locator on the site for the beverages. There are apparently a few locations near my house that sell it. You can also find the drinks in large grocery store chains like Kroger, Meyer, Winn-Dixie, and Cost World Plus. You can also purchase the drinks on Amazon. In addition to carrying the flavors they are known for, you can also get an unflavored sparkling water created by Clearly Canadian. My goal in the next few weeks is to drink a bottle of Clearly Canadian. I'll let you know how it goes. During the 1990s in America especially, we became obsessed with diet culture as well as low-fat and non-fat foods. Snackwells, created by Nabisco and later sold to Back to Nature Foods, fed right into it. Someone else is making devil's food cookies besides Snackwells. <laughs> now those ladies will leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Think there'll be anything like our Snackwells? I hope so. What are you trying to pull? These are nothing like my Snackwells devil's food cookies. Where's my cookie man? So chocolatey. Only one devil's food cookie deserves to be called Snackwells. Fat-free Snackwells. So good. Can we ever make enough? Thank you, honey. There were several different items created by Snackwells, including vanilla cream sandwich cookies and my sister's personal favorite, devil's food cookie cakes. Online, some people have described them as a stale chocolate-covered hockey puck, which is most certainly accurate, yet we ate them anyways. The Devil's Food Cake Cookie Cakes were introduced in the early 1990s and claimed to have 40% less fat than their competition. As a result of that, though, they were filled with high-fructose corn syrup and they weren't very big, so I think this led people to eat them in higher quantities, thus canceling out their supposed low-fat benefits. When Snackwells was sold to Back to Nature Foods, the recipe changed to make them taste better, but people apparently complained and the popularity of Snackwells started to tank. So, in 2022, the Snackwell line was officially discontinued. My sister did not live to see the day that Snackwells were discontinued. However, I'm quite sure she would be seriously pissed, okay? She loved those cookies, and I know I ate my fair share of them as well. In an article from Eater.com entitled The Devil's Food, writer Megan McCarran wrote about her love affair with Devil's Cake Cookies and how they ruined her childhood. Here's a bit from that article. The Devil's Food. Snackwell's Devil's Food Cookie Cakes, that iconic 90s diet food, took up too many of my middle school snack times and ruined my childhood in the process. When I was a kid, I spent my afternoons in my mom's bedroom watching cartoons I thought I was too old for and eating my afternoon snack. In fifth grade, snack meant twisting apart Oreos to eat the center frosting and then dipping each half in milk until it teetered on the verge of crumbling. My grandparents watched me and my younger siblings, and sometimes my grandfather would bring a dozen fresh donuts from a local bakery. Jelly donuts dusted in powdered sugar, chocolate cake donuts with chocolate glaze, apple pie donuts and vanilla donuts, and my favorite, Boston cream. But in sixth grade, I ruined the only good part of my day by eschewing Oreos and refusing my grandfather's donuts. Instead, I ate Snackwells. 
Specifically, I ate Snackwell's Devil Food Cookie Cakes, a fat-free chocolate cake covered in marshmallow and chocolate, the most iconic product of the 90s obsession with low-fat foods and the processed food industry's eagerness to meet that mania with different combinations of the same ingredients, which in Snackwell's case included lots of high-fructose corn syrup. The cookie cake wasn't bad exactly, but it was never satisfying. The puck of chocolate cake was oddly airy, the marshmallow was a purely ascetic line of white, and the chocolate was waxy and sugary with a firm crunch. It was like eating a chocolate cupcake whose soul had been sucked out. Fat-free products like Snackwell's offered a bonkers compromise, something that looked like a treat without offending nutrient removed, which also removed much of the pleasure the treat supposedly provided. As an anxious fat kid in a tiny Catholic school where girls did things like measure and compare the circumference of their thighs, I made this compromise eagerly. I ate Weight Watchers cheesecake and fat-free frozen yogurt and healthy choice frozen dinners and grilled chicken sandwiches and every kind of snack wells, from the pointless vanilla sandwich cookies to the truly vile sludgy brownies. I still feel comforted by the taste of diet foods, the treacly stevia aftertaste of protein powder or the smooth, slippery texture of an egg bite. But despite the fashion for all varieties of food poptimism, I'm not ready to defend those tastes. The common wisdom about the 90s low-fat mania is that America's decadent Puritanism found a way to ruin cookies and still avoid eating apples. This truism has a name, the Snackwell's effect, which was characterized as the tendency to eat more of a food labeled low-fat or healthy than you would have otherwise. But that line of thinking assumes there is such a thing as a good food or bad food, or there is an appropriate amount to eat of something considered bad. The fact is, Fad diets don't work, at all, and sorting food into good and bad categories cuts off access to pleasure. If there is a Snackwell's effect, maybe it's a false comfort offered by food that looks like pleasure but tastes like denial, the hope that the next bite will spontaneously possess the roundness and richness its appearance suggests, while all the while the tongue keeps score. Dietitians who help patients give up dieting for good describe the grief process that brings up a painful assessment of years or decades of restricting eating all for nothing. I was proud of the way I could turn down my grandfather's donuts and eat a fat-free cookie cake instead. Now, my time in that Catholic school is a distant memory. Low-fat diets are a scam, and my grandfather is gone. Devil's food, indeed. Well said, Megan. Well said. I didn't even think about it like that, but that's pretty accurate. So, well done. In 1985, Keebler released Tato Skins. Not Potato Skins, Tato Skins. That's right. Keebler presents the appealing taste of baked potato skins in a crispy, crunchy chip. Potato skins got baked potato appeal because they're made with potatoes and skins that are real. The Keebler elves make potato skins with real potatoes and real potato skins for a flavor with whole baked potato appeal. Cheddar cheese and bacon, sour cream and chives, tasty baked potato, you won't believe your eyes, they're made with potatoes and skins that are real. Potato skins from Keebler, baked potato appeal. For 15 years, we were able to enjoy chips that were fried potato skins with flavors like cheddar cheese and bacon and sour cream and chives. Note that both of these flavors did not use the word and, but rather just an N. If you're wondering what that clicking noise is, and if you listen back to any episodes released in the winter, then you may realize that that is actually the heater in my house, baseboard heating in an old house because I'm freezing and I live in Maine. So I'm so sorry for that distraction, but I need to be warm. Anyways, at one point you could purchase a ceramic potato shaped bowl purposefully created to hold potato skins in. Yeah, that's right. Someone recently sold one on Etsy. 
Sadly, Tato skins lasted until about 2000. Allegedly, Keebler later sold it to a food company that eventually sold it to TGI Fridays. In addition to diet culture, the 1990s was also famous for all things clear. You know, clear phones, clear blow-up furniture, and uh, crystal clear Pepsi. Introduced in 1992, Crystal Clear Pepsi was created by a former Pepsi executive named David Novak. He said the beverage was the best idea he's ever had. However, he also said it was poorly executed. Clearly Canadian and sodas like Slice were gaining popularity, so Novak thought perhaps he was onto something. I found some really fascinating information from the Thrillist website about the development of Crystal Clear Pepsi. Here's a bit from that article. To create the see-through spinoff, Novak teamed up with food scientist Surinder Kumar, the junk food wizard behind the flavor of nacho cheese Doritos. Novak explained the idea and stressed the importance of clear bottles to show off the drink's hip new look, according to Kumar. Kumar, who was then head president of Pepsi's research and development branch, balked at first. He foresaw a huge problem. I knew it had a strong possibility of going bad in clear bottles, he said. Colas are brown for a good reason. The color keeps sunlight from spoiling the drink and morphing it into a brew that smells and tastes like shoe polish, she says. Ever wonder why 7-Up and Sprite are sold in green bottles? It's the exact same concept, he stressed to Pepsi executives. But Pepsi's motto at the same time was, go big, and so I was told, you're a food scientist, figure it out, Kumar says. From a technical standpoint, I thought it was impossible. There are laws of physics and chemistry you can't change. But he set out to try. The goal was to make a caffeine and preservative-free clear soda that tastes like original Pepsi but wouldn't eat into its sales. Over the next few months, he concocted a recipe that included a mix of sugars and salts, along with a secret substitute for the caramel brown color and flavor, which he is still not at liberty to disclose. Problem was, Honchos wouldn't tell him the full recipe of regular Pepsi, he says. Only a few execs at the firm knew the coveted trade secret, which made it harder to replicate. To Kumar, it felt like guarding a castle in a blindfold. Imagine trying to protect the flavor of something without actually knowing what's in it, he says. It was difficult and very frustrating. Pepsi didn't return requests for comment. Kumar also wasn't hot on the idea of marketing Crystal Pepsi as healthy. It was made with high fructose corn syrup, I'm sensing a theme here, and had roughly the same amount of calories. It was misleading to consumers. My point of view was if we want to market it as pure and natural, then the ingredients need to reflect that, he says. Focus groups didn't seem to mind. They loved it, according to Novak, so I rushed it to the test market. In April 1992, the drink launched in Boulder, Colorado, and was soon flying off the shelves. It was the hottest news in the category, Novak recalls. People were calling their friends and shipping them six-packs. Everyone wanted to try it. But in Novak's mind, the clock was ticking. He wanted the soft drink to launch nationally in time for the Super Bowl on January 31st, 1993, as part of a $40 million ad campaign. All told, Crystal Pepsi was rolled out across America at breakneck speed, just nine months after Novak's first pitch. By contrast, it took us three years to launch Slice, Kumar says. It wasn't enough time to accurately test its shelf life. Bottlers gave Novak the first hint that something wasn't right. They said, you have a really good idea, but the problem is that it doesn't have enough Pepsi-Cola flavor in it, Novak says. One of them told me, everybody will try this. The problem is, nobody is going to retry it. He added, they had a unique perspective that I basically ignored, and they were right. After the Super Bowl commercial, sales of the $1.50 six-pack soared. 
The company sold $474 million worth of Crystal Pepsi by March 1993, according to the New York Times. Crystal Pepsi's immediate success sent competitors at Coke into attack mode. The company launched Tab Clear in what Chief Marketing Officer Sergio Zima described as a mutual destruction effort to fail and take Crystal Pepsi down with it. He hoped to kill it off by confusing shoppers into thinking it was a diet drink. Pepsi spent an enormous amount of money on the brand and, regardless, we killed it. Both of them were dead within six months, Zima said in the book Killing Giants, 10 Strategies to Topple the Goliath in Your Industry. Whether or not the scheme actually worked, not many people tried Crystal Pepsi twice. Novak thinks the flavor simply wasn't good enough. Because we rushed it, we were having product quality problems. It had more of an aftertaste than it should have had, he said. More serious dilemmas soon began to bubble up. Cases of Crystal Pepsi were being displayed sitting out in the direct sunlight at gas stations, Kumar says. That was a kiss of death. As he predicted, ultraviolet rays caused the soda to spoil. Reports began pouring into Pepsi headquarters from customers saying the stuff tasted strange, according to Kumar. By 1994, less than a year after Crystal Pepsi's big launch, it was discontinued. I was disappointed that it wasn't more enduring, Novak said. If we had gotten the flavor notes to taste more like the original Pepsi Cola, it would have been more than just a novelty. End quote. Crystal Clear Pepsi has reappeared a few times, mainly for nostalgia tie ins for us Gen Xers and elder millennials. In 2016, it appeared briefly after a fan campaign got enough attention, and also in 2017, to coincide with a nostalgia throwback tour with acts like Salt and Pepper, Buster Rhymes, and Sugar Ray. It was also brought back last year due to increased interest in 90s nostalgia once again with things like Jinko Jeans, Scrunchies, and Crystal Clear Pepsi, of course. Being reminded of the lineup for the Nostalgia Tour brought up two thoughts for me. One, I love salt and Peppa and would have loved to have seen them perform. And number two, I hate Sugar Ray so much. I don't know if if I hate Sugar Ray or Smash Mouth more. There's so many 90s awful alternative bands. But how did they get salt and Peppa to agree to tour with that godforsaken alternative band? Now I'm going to have that stupid song, I Just Want to Fly, Fly, whatever it's called, stuck in my head for the next few days. This is going to suck. Anyways, if ever there was a snack that reminded me of my childhood, it would have to be Mr. Salty's pretzels. Mr. Salty is a pretzel. Want you to eat. He's got fresh, light taste. You just can't beat. Gonna tell you why. He's so special. Mr. Salty is a crisplier pretzel. Eat him anytime. Pretzels are fun. Get Mr. Salty a crisplier one. Pretzels that are crisplier are best too much. Mr. Salty has a snack. Created by Nabisco in the late 1960s, Mr. Salty was in fact a cartoon caricature of a pretzel shaped like a man. He was tall and slender with curved arms and straight legs, which I guess means he was literally a pretzel with legs. He wore a white sailor hat that said Nabisco on it. I distinctly remember having Mr. Salty pretzels in our house frequently when me and my sister were kids. To this day, I would say that I am most certainly a sucker for pretzels and anything salty. And I can thank my mother for that, who is definitely a woman who sees the word sodium and thinks sodium. Anyways, <laughs> that was stupid. Anyways, at one point, Mr. Salty was so popular that you could purchase a plethora of different types of pretzels like sticks, twists, of course, rods, nuggets, minis, rings, etc. 
At one point, you could even purchase a Mr. Salty plush, which you can now find on eBay. And is anyone else seriously just grossed out by old plush or stuffed animals? I just think about all of the bodily fluids that can be found on old items that are made of fabric like mucus from 1975 or remnants of diarrhea from 1985, okay? As tempting and nostalgic as stuffed animals or whatever you want to call them are, there is just something about it that really makes me want to throw up. Anyways, Mr. Salty remained popular for many decades, but as people started to get more health conscious, complaints started that Mr. Salty should have been called Mr. Too Salty, or perhaps people said that their heart was being assaulted by Mr. Salty. Get it? I made that up. Anyways, nonetheless, in recent years, Mr. Salty has really been nowhere to be found. At one point, it seemed like the company was bought out by Anderson Pretzel Sticks with an X. Why can we never just label things as sticks in a grocery store, like S-T-I-C-K-S? Why does it always have to be S-T-I-X? What is the big deal? Anyways, Anderson Pretzel Sticks apparently owned them, owned Mr. Salty for a while. They reportedly took out a lot of the salt from the pretzels, thank God. However, that company appears to be defunct as well. That being said, it's really time for Mr. Salty to sail out on his ship because there's a new king or rather queen of pretzels now, if I do say so myself. Have you ever heard of Dot's pretzels? Oh my God. My mom, of course, introduced these to me last summer. I think it was, I think it was then. And ever since then, I have grabbed a bag wherever I see them. They are amazing. So good. And they are the best snack pretzel I have ever had in my life. I'm not making this up. Look them up, Dot's pretzels. I'll put a link in the show notes to where you can purchase them online. And you can thank me in advance because they are so good. They're seasoned, just incredible. All right, let's move on. Next on our list, we have Five Alive, yet another item that was once found in the United States, but can now only be found in Canada. I'm not bitter, you are. Five Alive, five delicious fruits. Tangerine, grapefruit, lemon, lime, and orange make one refreshing taste. Take five, five, Alive. Take five. Five, Alive. five Alive was created by Minute Maid, which is owned by Coca-Cola. The name Five Alive came from the five fruit juices contained within the beverage. It was introduced in the 1970s in both the 12-ounce and 16-ounce cans. In 1981, it could be found in both cans and cartons. The carton I distinctly remember pulling out of my fridge was navy blue with the word five being in white and the word alive being in multicolors. The slogan for five alive was get a taste for life. And likewise, people tell me that I'm a big nerd when it comes to you know Disney and pop culture and that I should actually get a life. Funny how that works. By the 1990s, Five Alive stopped being sold in the United States, and let's just say life has not been the same since. I am not feeling alive. And we will end our show with everyone's favorite juice box flavor, Ecto Cooler. Released in 1989, Ecto Cooler was created by Hi-C. 
It was actually a re-release of a drink originally sold in the 1960s called Citrus Cooler. It was produced again to coincide with the movie Ghostbusters 2 coming out in theaters, just with a name change. The juice box design was famous for not only its unique green and orange coloring, but also because a character from Ghostbusters, Slimer, was on it. He remained on the boxes until 1997 when he was removed, likely because the movie was not as popular anymore as it had been the decade beforehand. Ecto Cooler was still made until 2001 when it was discontinued and the name was changed yet again and renamed Shoutin' Orange Tangerine. So 2001 was really a year for me to save Sayonara to my childhood. I graduated from high school and Ecto Cooler was discontinued. And then September 11th happened. Could 2001 have sucked even more? Oh, wait, I worked at Disney World that year. That was the best thing ever. In 2006, the name was changed yet again to Crazy Citrus Cooler, but was subsequently discontinued in 2007. In 2016, Ecto reemerged for a limited time. Fans could enter a contest to win Ecto Cooler, which would be released in cans for a short period of time before the nationwide release. Fans could eventually purchase Ecto Cooler in stores and in movie theaters. By the end of 2016, though, Ecto Cooler disappeared once again, sort of just like how Slimer can disappear into a brick wall. However, just five years later, in 2021, Ecto Cooler again made its way back onto shelves due to the release of the film Ghostbusters Afterlife. However, that year in December, just like in 2016, Ecto Cooler was discontinued yet again. As far as I can tell right now, there are no signs of it coming back, but based on past history, I think there's a very good chance we haven't seen the end of Ecto Cooler. I wish that could be said about a lot of things on this list, but I won't hold my breath. I hope you enjoyed this look back on some of the extinct, discontinued, and disappearing food and drinks from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, and this was just the tip of the iceberg. Since we have so much more to cover, we will do so on the next episode of the show, so please stay tuned to that. Please don't forget to visit my website, www.popcultureretrospective.com, when you have a chance. Here you can rate the show, find links to my Twitter and Instagram accounts, browse my merchandise store, my blog, and so much more. If you are enjoying the show, please tell someone about the show. It's one of the best ways you can help support the podcast. Until we meet again, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories.